Good evening, guys. Welcome, uh, if you're with us live online, and of course, everybody here. Let's open up our Bibles tonight. We want to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I'll let you know we're excited to be resuming our youth ministry in two weeks' time, March 6th, Wednesday nights. It'll be uh, every Wednesday night, grades 6 through 12. Uh, So uh, we're looking forward to that. We're really excited about that, to be able to have that. It'll be at the same time uh, as our service here. So every Wednesday, 7 o'clock, grades 6 through 12, along with uh, obviously our children's ministry uh, being available. So uh, if you... Have those in your house that age, have them start planning that. If you know people uh, and you want to invite them out, obviously that's just one additional way that we can minister to families uh, on Wednesday evenings here. There'll be other things that'll be happening with the youth group that we'll let you know about, um, but we're really thankful uh, that the Lord uh, is doing that work uh, once again here. We're excited about that. So March 6th, we'll uh, pick up with that, but uh, tonight... John chapter 10, verse 1, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 21 this evening, and uh, when Jesus healed the man that was born blind, uh, we saw that in the last chapter, the self-proclaimed shepherds of Israel cast the man out of the synagogue, and last thing that you probably would expect to have happened, but I think if you uh, have read the Gospels much uh, it's not really that far-fetched and probably something that we, we should ex- expect or should have expected. But no, the reason you don't expect it is, is that no true shepherd uh, would do such a thing. And so this prompts Jesus, it prompted Jesus uh, to teach uh, to the Pharisees in particular, uh, or his teaching, I, I would say not so much to the Pharisees, but about the Pharisees in particular, Uh, on the good shepherd. And the question is really, um, what shepherd uh, are we following? Are we following the good shepherd? Uh, Do we know that we have life? Uh, And are we enjoying the abundant life that he gives? Uh, Or are we like a lot of people, maybe maybe, uh, chosen the wrong shepherd? So, We need to take a serious look at that here this evening. We'll do that. Jesus makes two very important points in this section. The first is that he is the shepherd of the sheep. And the second thing is is that he is also the door of the sheep. Obviously, Jesus uh, didn't have fur and he didn't have hinges. Uh, So we have uh, some figurative language, but some very important uh, figurative language. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, that they'll ask you, they'll say, you know, do you interpret the Bible literally? And the answer to the question is, yes, I interpret the Bible literally, but in a literal interpretation of anything, there is an allowance for figurative language. In other words, uh, we understand that much of the Bible is poetry. No one would ever try to interpret poetry in a strict uh, you know, literal sense. That doesn't mean that you're not taking it literally for what it means. It means that you're taking the figurative language literally, that you're taking other metaphors and other things uh, in a literal way. But when it comes to narratives, when it comes to history, when it comes to scientific fact and, and, and other things like that, the Bible is being very literal. 
but also it incorporates, as, as, as you would, figurative language. So it's important to understand that nuance because there are a lot of people, um, as simple as that may sound and seem, uh, that haven't been told that or don't understand that. So we're going to see two very important figurative uh, ideas that Jesus puts forth here about himself. The first is that he is the shepherd of the sheep. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So what is a sheepfold exactly? You know, you probably don't have a sheep um, in your yard or in your neighborhood even. Uh, maybe you do, but, but most people don't. They probably have no concept. They've heard the term sheepfold, but they're probably not exactly sure what the sheepfold was. Well, the, the sheepfold was specifically where the sheep stayed at night. And in this particular time, it was a, it was a walled uh, enclosure. It had one door. And here, as I said, uh, there's a lot of figurative things going on. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. And the sheepfold is, is also symbolic and it represents, um, it, it represents Israel. And so then the sheep uh, are the people of Israel. So if you're trying to kind of connect the dots between uh, all of this different figurative language, um, the sheep are Israel in this context here, uh, and the sheepfold is Israel, the people of Israel and Israel itself uh, as a whole. And the Pharisees uh, and the religious leaders had come to the people of Israel, um, but they didn't come through the door properly as a shepherd would. And so Jesus is going to be talking about the error of their ways, and he's liking, likening them to, to thieves and to robbers. And so they didn't come in faithfulness to the Word of God, uh, but they came in tradition, and they came uh, man-made tradition that actually was violating the Word of God and was keeping people from the Word of God and was keeping people then from God. And so they came in all of this tradition and the flesh. And so they had actually, uh, as a result, stolen many people from God. They, they, in that sense, were like thieves and robbers, taking people uh, that were in the sheepfold of Israel, the sheep of God, and stealing those sheep all the while claiming to serve God. And, and so this is the picture that, that Jesus is, is painting here, first thing in this chapter. And so he says, verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd of the sheep. There's only one shepherd of the sheep. And the first way that we know him is, is that he doesn't come up over the wall. He doesn't sneak in. He comes in through the door. And to him, he says, the doorkeeper opens. Now, we're talking about sheepfolds. And you should know that in certain villages... Uh, there were common sheepfolds. So in other words, there was a, one large sheepfold for the entire village, or maybe a few for the entire village. And so the shepherds would keep several flocks 
uh, in one large open enclosure, walled but, but open enclosure. And so the flocks are just kind of all mixing in there. And then you have another character, uh, another uh, symbolic character then as a result of this that is introduced in the story here that Jesus, uh, or in the teaching that Jesus is giving. And that is the doorkeeper. And if, you, uh, if we're saying that Jesus is the shepherd, if we're saying that the sheepfold is Israel, the nation, and that the sheep are the people of Israel, then the doorkeeper would be the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Spirit of God that opens the hearts of people to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, if you turn a little bit ahead there, in verse 26 of John chapter 15, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about the, uh, the Holy Spirit in verse 26, and he says this, that when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So one of the, well, not one of, the most important responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus to point people to Jesus Christ and to, in a sense, uh, open the door uh, of people's hearts or, or at least uh, work and draw them uh, so that their hearts might be opened by, through His testimony uh, of the Son of God, allowing Him to then come into their lives, uh, bringing salvation and bringing that abundant life that he gives. And so uh, Jesus then, John chapter 10, continues on, and he says that, that the doorkeeper uh, to, to the true shepherd, the doorkeeper opens. So he's coming through the front door, the doorkeeper knows him, the doorkeeper opens the door, and he says, and the sheep hear his voice. Now this is interesting because uh, I just mentioned to you that um, in villages, you'd have a common sheepfold. And so you might have hundreds of sheep in the sheepfold. And, and you know, it's not like this group of sheep is going to take this corner. And this group is going to take this corner uh, over here. And then maybe there's a, you know, 30 or 40 in the middle. And then, you know, a couple of other. It, it's, they're just all mixed in together. So the question is, is with all of these flocks in a common fold, with all of them mixed together, um, how do you then later on distinguish, you know, what sheep should go with which shepherd and, you know, which flock is, is which? And the answer to that, first of all, is that the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. And he says, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So, what we see is, is that the sheep knew their shepherd, and the shepherd knew his sheep. And so even if they're all mixed up, it, it, it really didn't matter because, because the sheep recognized the voice uh, of the shepherd, and all the shepherd had to do was call his sheep, and, and they would follow him out of the fold. But also, the shepherd knew the sheep. He had actually 
named each one of them. You know, that's very interesting because uh, life as a, as a shepherd, you know, you, so you're leading the sheep in and out, you're, you're trying to make sure that you're choosing the right location um, that hasn't been grazed too much, um, that isn't exposing the sheep either to the elements or to predators uh, or other things. And so you're, you're doing that work, but then there's a lot of downtime because the sheep are just out there eating. And, and you know, so the shepherd, I, I imagine, uh, spent a lot of that downtime getting to know the sheep. What, what characteristics made each sheep unique? Not just the way that they look, but, but you know, their, their personality traits, their strengths, their weaknesses, their, their tendencies. And, and the shepherd uh, had names. They would, they would name their sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. And, you know, as we look in the scripture, we see that God does that with us. One of the most interesting things that I notice in scripture is how often God changed people's names. For example, uh, a lot of you have heard the name Abraham, but you may or may not be aware that that wasn't his original name. Abraham wasn't what he was called from birth. His name from birth was Abram. Now, Abram meant exalted father. But you know, that's kind of an uncomfortable name when you don't have any kids, right? And for most of his life, he had no children. And then finally, when he did have a child, it was by a slave. And so then you got a guy and he's, he, he has one child later in life through one of the maidservants of his wife and and, and his name is Exalted Father. It's kind of like a cruel joke, you know? It's like a poor guy being called rich. <laughs> you know what I mean? Short for Richard, obviously, but uh, that would be really interesting. But, you know, uh, it, it's a cruel joke. Or is it? Because then God takes his name and he goes one step further and he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many because he wasn't going to just have one child he also would have another child child of promise Isaac and through Isaac in particular the promise would come but but also through uh, Ishmael he he would have millions actually billions of descendants isn't that, isn't that fascinating? And so God, what you notice in Scripture, when God changes people's names, it is symbolic of the work that he is doing by faith in their lives. There was another guy. You know him by the name of Jacob. It's interesting to me that Jacob's such a popular name today um, because, uh, you know, I, I, 
There was a time where I think probably, uh, I don't think it still is now. I think it's like Liam or something like that, you know. Uh, um, but anyway, there was a time when uh, Hudson or Liam or, you know, these, these are the names today that are super popular. And, uh, but back, there was a time when Jacob was the name. And I like the name Jacob, uh, but unless I stop and think about what it means, um, because it means uh, basically dirty, rotten scoundrel. I mean, I paraphrase a little bit, but that's what it means. It means supplanter, heel catcher, someone who, someone who trips other people up, someone who messes, messes other people's lives up. That's what the, that's what the name, name Jacob means. And when you read your Bible, you see kind of fits, you know, for a long time. And in a lot of ways, it fit. But God changed his name. There was a period where God was dealing with Jacob and he was getting ready to cross over the river Jabbok, uh, which um, Jabbok means emptying, by the way. And God separated him completely from everything in his life. He emptied him at that river on one side of that river, he emptied him of everything that he had. All of his flocks, his possessions, his, his, his wives, his, his children, everything. He thought that his brother was coming to kill him. And so, you know, uh, he, and, and he's left alone one night. He's by himself. And the angel of the Lord an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ comes. And the Bible says that he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. Physically, he, he, he wrestled with God. And as the day was breaking, the scripture tells us that, that, uh, that Jacob told God, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And it says that God changed his name there to Israel. Now, I've seen a lot of different uh, definitions of the name of Israel, the name Israel. And uh, one is Prince of God. That's one of the common definitions of the name Israel, Prince, Prince of God. Uh, another, another that you see commonly is governed by God. But, but those aren't correct according to the Scripture or the words. Israel is, is two Hebrew words, Sarah and El. El, you recognize that's, that's the word for God, the singular word for God, El. And, and Sarah means to contend, to struggle, to wrestle. And God changes His name and He says... He says, uh, your name, what is your name? He says, Jacob. He says, you no longer will be called Jacob. You're Israel, for you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. So the words and the context of the passage tell us the meaning of the name. And the name means prevailing with God. Struggling with God and, and winning. How do you wrestle with God and win? Well, the way that you do is, is that you, you hang on, you cling, and you don't let go. 
until God accomplishes His work in you. And that's what Jacob had the wisdom and the endurance to do. Not to hold on to think that he could beat God, but in a way surrender to God by holding on to Him. And you can read this. It's in Genesis 32, 33, uh, in that area. Great, great section of Scripture there. But prevailing with God. That was the work that God did in his life. Then there was Sarah. Sarah wasn't born Sarah. She was born Sarai, which means princess. She kind of was a princess. But God turned her into Sarah, which means noblewoman. And you know about Simon. Simon means heard. But Jesus changed his name into Peter, which means rock. Then there is Saul, or there was Saul. Saul means asked for, the one everybody wanted. And God changed him into Paul, which means little. The work that God did in people's lives, so symbolic uh, and found really in, in their names. And you know in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says that you're going to get a new name. Maybe you're thinking, yeah. Tired of this old name, ready for, ready for something new. I thought of, I was thinking about that. And I thought, man, you know, maybe I've been called. Well, I've been called a lot of things, but uh, <clears throat> I've been called what I've been called uh, for so long. the The thought of being called something different is is really kind of hard for my brain to adjust to. But that's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter two, verse seventeen. Jesus making this promise, he's speaking to the church in, in uh, Pergamos there in Revelation 2.17. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Manna, of course, in Scripture, a picture of Christ. Manna was life, and Christ is, is life. And we, Jesus told us, we, you know, we need to consume, we need to to take in his flesh, and that there is life in his death and resurrection. <coughs> and then he says, and I will give him a white stone. What was the white stone? If you were acquitted in a trial, you were handed the white stone. If you were a victor in an athletic competition, you were given the white stone. If lots or the Urim and the Thummim and the breastplate of the high priest were taken out, the black stone was no, the white stone was yes. The white stone is, is good things. It means acquittal. It means yes, and all God's promises in Him are yes and amen, the Scripture says. And He says this, And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except Him who receives it. And... There is a sense where no one knows perhaps the name or perhaps the significance of the name except him who receives it. And I suspect that like Abraham, like uh, Israel, like Sarah, uh, like Peter and Paul, it will be symbolic, significant of the work that God has done in your life and God has done uh, in my life. And so uh, Jesus says here that he calls his sheep, the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them out. 
And so Jesus was leading people out of the sheepfold uh, of Israel, out of where they were kept under the law and into grace. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, we see why this was the case. It says that, Galatians 3, 23, it says, Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And so we see that the purpose of the law for Israel was in keeping guard over them. It was like a sheepfold that was was designed to protect them. Uh, But then afterward, when the object of their faith was revealed, the Son of God, that that, uh, they are no longer kept uh, under guard by the law and by that system. So Jesus was now... First, the gospel went to Israel first, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. He was leading them out of the sheepfold of Israel. However, uh, not all were his sheep, not all would follow. And the same is true today, just of his sheep in general. Not all know his voice and are following him. You can say, well, you know, Why are some people not saved? Why are they not following Jesus Christ? Because they don't know the good shepherd. They don't know him. They they don't recognize his voice. They're they're not following him. Everybody's following some kind of shepherd, in a sense. The shepherd uh, is either the good shepherd or some other shepherd that they have chosen to follow. And so verse 4, he says... (coughs) and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. In verse 6, it says that Jesus used this illustration, uh, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So he's speaking speaking, uh, in large part to the Pharisees, um, and about the Pharisees, they're at least listening, but they're spiritually blind and even though they insisted that they could see, uh, they could not. Uh, and so they didn't understand. And so verse 7, he switches gears a little bit. As I said, he uses two illustrations. Uh, the second, he says, is that he is the door of the sheep. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, He's going to talk about a different kind of sheepfold. There was the sheepfold in the village, as I said, often a common sheepfold that existed in a village. And then there was uh, the sheepfold that was out in the field, that was in the pasture. Because it wasn't always uh, practical to bring the sheep all the way back to the village and to the common sheepfold. So a lot of times, Shepherds would spend the night out in the field, particularly if you, you know, all of the land near the village had been grazed and the best pastures were maybe a little ways away, then it might not necessarily be practical to come every night all the way back to the village. So they would have sheepfolds that were out in a pasture or sheepfolds that were, um, you know, near 
uh, particular pastures. And sometimes uh, those would consist of a cave or some other enclosure that they had built out in that area for that purpose. And, and the way that that sheepfold worked was similar to the one in the village. It had one entry, but the shepherd would lay in the doorway. And so what he would do is, is that he would make sure that the sheep stayed in the sheepfold, whatever it was, the cave or whatever, but that nothing else got in with the sheep. And so he would literally lay in the doorway, making himself the door of the sheepfold and the door to the sheep. And so Jesus led his sheep and was leading his sheep out of the sheepfold of Israel into his pasture and into his sheepfold, the new covenant and the grace of God. And so verse 8, he says, All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. That is, the, the, his sheep. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, if you enter in to salvation in Christ through the door that is Jesus Christ into that, that sheepfold of the grace of God, Jesus says then you're going to go in and you're going to be protected at night and you're going to go in and you're going to go out and, and you're going to find pasture. John chapter 14, again turning ahead uh, a little bit, we see that Indeed, there is only one way into this sheepfold. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So people often ask, they say, do you, do you believe well, usually what they say is, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? And I say, I really do. <laughs> Not because I am most comfortable with that idea, although I am, but because Jesus said so. He said, I am the door. He didn't say, you know, you can choose door number one, Door number two or door number three? It's your choice. He said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And just in case that wasn't clear, no one comes to the Father except through me. So what we discover is, is that all roads don't lead to God. Well, in one sense they do. They lead to judgment. But only one road, one door, one path lead to eternal life. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there's many people that go that way. But narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And few there are that find it. So people say, well, you know, you're kind of narrow-minded. And, and I said, well, actually, I'm closed-minded. There's a difference. Narrow-minded uh, 
separate from what Jesus talked about. He meant something different. But most people, by narrow-minded, they mean, you know, maybe less options. But still, more than one option. I'm closed-minded in the sense that there is only one option. But that's all that the Scripture gives us. Jesus Christ. But you know, we don't need more than one option. And in fact, other options are an insult because if there was another way, then Jesus didn't have to die. God God could have just had one less way and it didn't have to include sacrificing His Son. If you could, you know, just live a reasonably good life or if you could follow one of these other religions and that would do it too, then, then God wouldn't have had to sacrifice His only begotten Son. But because there was no other way, Jesus had to die. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did He say? He prayed, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then He said, nevertheless... Not what I want, not what I will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross because there was no other way. And so Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only door. And verse 10 of John chapter 10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The only goal of the thief is to take from you, is to steal and to destroy and to to kill. But Jesus came purely for our benefit. He came to give us life, and not just any life, not just, Jesus didn't say, I came to give you so-so life. Meh. He said, I came to give you abundant life. Now, abundant life doesn't necessarily mean what the world might say is abundant life. Much of that abundant life is out ahead for us. But there is a certain aspect of the abundant life that we enjoy in Christ, no matter what our our outward circumstances are, Because we know Him, because we have hope in Jesus Christ, because we walk light in our shoes, knowing that our sins have been removed from us, as the Scripture says, as far as the East is from the West. And so He came, and He gave us that abundant life. And there is life, and then there is abundant life. And I think that that there are Christians... And they have eternal life and salvation. And they have an opportunity to enjoy His abundant life. But they're cheating themselves a little bit. They're robbing themselves to a certain degree in this life of the abundant life that He would give to the degree that they may not be completely following the Good Shepherd as they can. And there is no power for some. There is no joy For others, there is no holiness, there is no passion, there is no communion with God. All these things, that abundant life that is not a matter of material or earthly circumstances. There's no victory, there's no fruit. And I would suggest that these need personal revival. They need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God that they might have 
not just eternal life, but that they may have that abundant life that Jesus desires for them. Verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And a hireling, he says, verse 12, in contrast, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And he does this because he doesn't really care about the sheep. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I, I give my life. I sacrifice. I care about the sheep. Other shepherds um, often care about themselves and what benefits them. And a lot of that had to do with the shepherds of Israel. And so he says, <clears throat> verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and have, am known by my own. So kind of a two-way street. He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And you know, I think that for a lot of people, uh, they know about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know them. And so there's no relationship. And that relationship is found in love. It's, it, it's a reciprocal relationship. It's found in abiding, verse 16. Now, verse 16, he says something very interesting that uh, some people have gotten wrong. He says, other sheep I have, uh, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, this is the beauty of going through the scripture in context. Because as I read that verse to you, you understand what Jesus is talking about. Flocks and sheepfolds and sheep. And so when Jesus says, other sheep I have, uh, which are not of this fold, you know, well, this fold is Israel. And these sheep that he's talking about previous to this are Israel. So who are the other sheep? Gentiles. The rest of the world. They're not some uh, cult uh, or other group of people say, ah, we're the other sheep that are not of this fold. Well, I guess if you just want to take one verse out of the Bible and make that, you know, your group's verse, okay. But, you know, for people who actually read it, they can understand what Jesus is saying here. The other sheep, they're the Gentiles. And we, if we're Gentiles, if you're a Gentile, you're, you're not of the fold of Israel. Notice at the end of verse 16, he says, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Sometimes uh, that is translated, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. Uh, but um, the word is very clearly there, flock. And Jews and Gentiles, while they may not be of the same fold, they're going to be combined into one flock. And that's what Galatians, we were in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 earlier, and now Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul writing, Galatians 3, verse 28, says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Just one big flock in the new covenant 
in Christ Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's going to be, I have two folds. And, you know, for a long time there was Israel and everybody else. But Christ and the gospel are bringing everyone together into one flock. Um, by the way, that wasn't a real popular message. <laughs> that, that's the message that, that made people, Jews in particular, hate Paul so much. That's why they wanted to kill him. That, that was the essence, was that, was that message. Verse 17, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So that's the beauty of Jesus is, is that he wasn't simply a shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. But he says, not only do I have the power to lay my life down and do I choose to lay it down, but I take it up again. And Jesus is saying that he's going to rise again. He's going to lay his life down and then he's going to raise it up uh, again. Now, verse 19, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. There was basically two camps. There was the he has a demon and his mad camp, verse 20. That's one group of people. He, he has a demon and he's crazy. That's how some people saw it. Verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Some said he's crazy and some recognize that he was someone very special. And so you have that today, you know? Uh, Jesus, you know, people say, well, if he existed, he was, you know, uh, maybe a little crazy or, you know, some might be a little more uh, benevolent. They might say, well, you know, I think he was just a, a, a good guy. But then there's people that realize, no, Jesus was the son of God. Who else can open the eyes of the blind? You know, when you follow the good shepherd, he leads you out of bondage. He has led you, if you follow Jesus Christ, he has led you out of bondage and into a new, not only pasture, but into his fold and into his kingdom. And you are now part of his flock. You know him. He knows you, and as a result of that, you have salvation, but you have so much more. You have that abundant life in Jesus Christ, or you have available to you that abundant life in Jesus Christ. And so your choice is to choose, will I abide? Will I walk with Him, not only for salvation, but for that life that He gives? And so the, the question is really quite simple. Well, how, how, you know, where am I? Well, does he know you? Do you know him? Do you know his voice? When he calls, do have you and do you follow? It's really as simple as that, as simple as sheep and a shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time here tonight in your word and
Lord, we thank you for the reminder, the check really. Not only are we following your son, not only do we know him and does he know us and do we hear his voice, do we know his voice, but have we followed him into that abundant pasture? Are we lagging behind somewhere along the way? As our heads are bowed in prayer tonight, I want to extend an invitation to you. If you say, well, I don't know that I know him. I don't know that he knows me. You can know. The Bible says that you can know whether or not you have a relationship with him, whether or not you have eternal life, and you can choose to receive his abundant life. But you have to choose Jesus Christ. You have to choose the good shepherd over all of the other shepherds, the thieves and the robbers who the enemy would send to rob you of eternal life and abundant life. And if you've come here tonight and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, then what, what that really means is that you're still in your sin. It means that you still hold your sin. And the problem with that is, is that it means you still at this moment hold the consequence of your sin, which is hell, which is punishment, which is judgment, and an eternity apart from God. But the perfection of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is this, that God doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he sent Jesus to bear your sin on the cross. But he won't force you to be saved. You have to choose whether or not his sacrifice is your sacrifice whether or not to receive his salvation, my prayer is, is that you would. If you'd like to join me in prayer tonight to ask Christ into your heart, then I'd love to pray with you tonight. And I want you to know that if you ask, he will answer. If you surrender, he will make himself Lord of your life. And he will change you from the inside out. And he will give you salvation and that abundant life he will give you new life in him you can discard that old life that broken life that sinful life and you can walk in the newness of christ if you'd like to join me in prayer tonight would you raise your hand where you are we'll pray together but if you haven't done so don't be afraid don't hold yourself back you just take this opportunity now we'll pray together as we close but please please take this opportunity Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your Son. And Lord, we just pray that that we would walk in Him, that we would walk in the newness of life, that that we would walk in that abundant life. 
if we're not experiencing that, Lord, it's not you. You haven't taken it away. Lord, it's us. And so, Lord, help us abide completely in you. Lord, bless your people. We thank you for your son. We thank you for sending our good shepherd. We thank you for the pasture that he's brought us to. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.